2: come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross
0: the road. It would
2: have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it.
3: This thing,
4: I got to notice in its eyes. His eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know the
1: look it was giving me. 9-1-1, What are you
3: reporting? Jesus Christ, you better. Sheriff, Deal somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him.
5: Uh-oh. Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicle. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. Did you guys hear about the woman that called in to the uh, coast-to-coast with George Norrie, the Kalen? No. Have you guys read about that yet? uh huh Oh, man. She, uh... <laughs> I'm so tired of the crazies in the Bigfoot world. So she described how she lived. She described oh, no. how she lived in a cave with this male Bigfoot for three weeks. Oh goodness! And Lord. she she uh, describes long conversations using telepathy. She could come and go as she wanted. She said, and she goes back once a year to spend a week with this uh, male Squatch, according to her. So that's that's pretty awesome.
4: Oh good yeah. grief! <laughs> you know it's there like a are vacation real for nutcases out there.
5: <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. And I really want to go off on a tangent, but I'll try and use some self-control and find a cold so <laughs> it, it may not be easy tonight. Yeah. Uh but I I came across this interview with John Green back in 1999. Well, you knew. You knew John Green. You knew Renee DeHenden, and all these guys. And I think I for did anyone out there quite well. Yeah. I think any of these guys out there that whether they have a passing interest in it or if they're a researcher, they should really research these two guys.
4: And those two in particular, I, I was thinking about it earlier today, you know, because I knew Bob Titmus and Grover Krantz and, and, and a, a number of other people who were kind of the original pioneers of this whole subject. And But it was Green and DeHinden who were really the the two top and – If I were to characterize those two guys, DeHendon was the heart and soul of the search, the early search, the initial finding out that there was something worth looking at in the subject, and Green was probably the public face. You know, they both had extremely important parts to play in it. The two of them guys, I think, were both indispensable in getting the whole world to know what the term Bigfoot meant.
5: was I didn't realize how larger-than-life Character Renee DeHendon was. And Green, you know, all these guys, in this interview I'm going to play for you, John Green answers. For people who don't know John Green, he was born in 1927. He actually first started beginning to investigate Sasquatch sightings and tracks back in 1957 after meeting Renee DeHendon. And the two of them kind of collaborated together. I think Green's best known for, uh, he's authored, I think, several Sasquatch books. But yeah, I think Apes Among Us is is probably the most popular in the interview he goes through and I would say he answers probably 95% of all the questions people still ask today and he's very direct and he's very to the point and it makes sense for me when I listen to it it just made sense I was like you know what he's right he's right I mean there's nothing that he said that I couldn't really argue with
4: most people think and I've I've had people contact me and say well you know we know so much more today than, than they do do back then and that's really not true there is nobody today, in my opinion, that is anywhere near the caliber of those two men. And they had already more than well thought out all the questions regarding this topic.
5: I would agree with you. Let me play this uh, interview with John Green, and then we can discuss it. I have a few encounters for you guys. I won't keep you guys too long tonight because, like I said, I'm fighting this cold, and I feel like it'd be dog. So, You
2: know, these footprints are real. Something has to make What do you think that something is? What do you think the Sasquatch is? Of course, an ape. A bipedal ape. I mean, you... you, See, you've got two facts that cannot be in any way challenged. Something makes huge, somewhat human-like footprints. And it should be possible to find out what that something is. And also all over the world and throughout history and in very much so at the present time people have been describing seeing these very large hair covered bipedal animals the the fact that there are all these people who tell this experience also cannot be challenged these people exist and that also must have some explanation what you've got Unless you wish to go into supernatural areas, you've got only two possible explanations. Either there is an animal, which accounts for all the stories and the footprints, or else this has been a a human activity throughout the world and throughout history, manufacturing evidence that such an animal exists. And the, the test of Occam's razor is that you take the simpler explanation. Right. And the simpler explanation is that there must be such an owl. What uh, what characteristics, if if I was out in the woods and I encountered a Sasquatch, what would I expect to see um, based on your findings? Well, presuming you're looking at an adult, it would be much bigger than a human. If it were in a normal position or if it were traveling, it would be upright, moving like a human. It would be totally covered with hair. It would be not only much taller than a human, but proportionately wider, proportionately thicker through to a much more extreme extent. Uh, So you have a thing that uh, is immensely heavier than a human. For a big one, a weight of a ton is not at all a proportion according to the weight of One of the lesser known things about um, some of the sightings is that it makes noises. There's been certain recordings of screens they've made. And the other thing is the smell. Is is that common sightings or is that a rare exception? The range of noises that have been claimed for this thing is very wide. The most usual one is a high-pitched scream. But we don't have a, a single instance of anybody recording the sound and at the same time recording the creature that's making it. So really all all of the sound evidence is speculative. You know, you can't claim anything factual. This is the sound a Sasquatch is making. It might be, in some cases probably is, but uh, there's nothing to establish that. As to the smell, the uh, certainly the there are many instances in which a strong smell is described, but in the majority of cases, when the witness is close enough so that you would expect a smell, there isn't one. So it would appear that it's a smell that can be emitted on purpose, which this this material was available about the Sasquatch years ago, since that time, it has been established that the same is true of gorillas. They secrete a smell that they Yeah, uh, you know, If you read Diane Fossey's mm-hmm. work, the, uh, the large male silverback gorillas has what she calls a fear odor that they emit from special glands in the armpits. So I, I would speculate that it's something similar taking place here. It isn't that the things stink to high heaven all the time, but that under certain conditions they, they can emit a strong smell. If you're out in the woods, if one's out in the woods, what should they expect in an encounter? And what can they do to, um, so
0: that they can provide some sort of information for, for the authorities, for people like yourself who compile the sentence?
2: Well, if they see the creature and it's, stays there, or, or if they're lucky enough to observe it when it doesn't know they're there, they should certainly just take note of every specific detail that they can remember or write down, and, or, of course, photograph if they have a chance. And quite bluntly, if, if uh, they're hunting and they've got a heavy rifle, they should shoot it, because uh, it's, it's just an animal. Right. There's no case for treating this animal differently from other animals, and shooting animals is still a common practice in this society. You make an exception for this one, it's only because of its resemblance to us, which I don't consider a valid reason. Is there- and scientifically, this is, this is absolutely essential, because science will not accept that these things exist until they have a piece of one. But every other form of evidence in spades, they won't even look at it. They've got to have a physical piece of it. And uh, until you prove that it exists, well, you know, try halting the real estate industry in Florida in the name of an imaginary animal. And yet there is probably the one case where these things are definitely in danger. Habitat diminishing. The habitat is is being paved over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you can't stop it. I mean, the thing isn't there. What, what about um, native folklore? And uh, what can you tell me about? How well, that's much fits in with that. I've never gone into that to any great extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- for this reason, that in the in- Indian culture, as in nearly all cultures. There is no sharp dividing line between the real and the unreal uh, Everything is real And this was also true of the European culture that we've inherited until just the last few hundred years But now we make an absolute distinction We have put everything either on one side of that line or the other and uh, from my Association with it. The the key element in this whole thing has been which side of that line Sasquatch falls on. So information you get from a culture where there is no line isn't isn't very helpful.
3: What's the latest report um, or sighting in Harrison Hot Springs?
2: Um, uh, one twenty miles up the lake last year. Last year but they're not common around here no they're not actually common anywhere it's just that they cover such a tremendous area that, uh, that they add up to a great many and where, where, what did they see in this, in this last sighting it wasn't a particularly good one in that it wasn't a large thing and it was under very poor lighting conditions as was a bear hunter and he thought he was following a bear into the bush and instead of that he he saw this dark human-shaped and human-sized thing looking at him partly from behind a tree under under heavy cover. So he thought it must be his hunting partner and tried to talk to him. And when he couldn't get an answer, then he backed out of there onto the road, which he'd he, he just started into the bush. The road was only a few feet behind him and found his partner standing on the road. And so that, you know, this... You've got a. Uh, all you have is a, a totally dark, uh, human, apparently sized figure. At a, she was quite close to. It, I think it was thirty or forty feet, but under poor light. But it, you know, it's it's got to be either a person uh, or something, or or one of these. It's hmm. not anything else. What's the most suddenly report you've uh, re- received in British Columbia? What's the most southerly report in B.C. of a sighting? Well, I mean, we get very, very close to the border. There's really no border with the
3: sightings?
2: Well, suddenly you go right down to California. uh, The the border isn't relevant to the Sasquatch. Uh Do you think it's a creature that migrates then? No. Uh, No more than than in the normal sense of being probably up high in the summertime and we're down in the winter, and, and you know, if going wherever there's a is available food, but not in the sense of walking hundreds of miles to change the climate. No. If, if you that's, that's that's one of the first things that people assume, and you know, people have been looking for evidence of migration, and uh, it just isn't there. What's it? The what are the characteristics? You've also been to Russia to um, look at the investigation at the Russian Academy and uh, the, Hmong- the Chinese Academy have done. Well, hold on now. There's no Russian Academy involved. Well, there was a Soviet Academy of Sciences there. No. No? No. Well, they gave it awards. Well, they had, they had an expedition years ago, that's true, but mm-hmm. they didn't find anything. But the people who are researching it in Russia are much like ourselves. They're, they have an association with the Darwin Museum in Moscow and they have a seminar of their own but that's no official backing in russia so they're just as um stubborn to the idea as western scientists might be are Are they just as are they as open-minded as western scientists are to the idea do you think no no these aren't scientists Uh, not recognized scientists then they're uh, as i say they're amateurs like myself what about the the so called Patterson film from nineteen sixty seven? Where you actually see the creature walking? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people claim every year that this is a hoax. What what does you take on that? On because this is one of the most important pieces of evidence. Yeah, well, the Patterson film is a movie of one of these things walking across the sandbar. Yeah, so,
0: well, some people claim that it's something in a costume, someone in a costume, or what? What, what do you say to people who who say that it's a fake?
2: I don't know what they're talking about. What, what, what is it about the film and uh, the research or whatever that's been done on it that makes you believe that it's a real creature? Well, in the first place, there either are these creatures or there aren't. Okay. Uh, if there are, then this is a movie of one. Uh, but as to studies of the film specifically, um, uh, it's been studied by experts in uh, in Russia and in England in, in uh, biomechanics. It's been studied by in, in the United States now just recently by a man whose specialty is the evolution of bipedal walking, bipedal locomotion. Mm-hmm. It's again just recently been studied by one of the top experts in the Enhancement of things like surveillance videos and so on and then Digitalized to the point where I think there's some dozens of CD-ROMs involved And uh, this man is no longer doing it and nobody else has the Sufficiently sophisticated hardware to to make any use of it And none of these people have suggested that it's fake That this uh, the expert in bipedal locomotion is trying to get a paper published in a proper scientific journal. And uh, the uh, enhancement man has issued a report of his own. Uh, the Russian work was done many years ago, where, back in the 70s, uh, that the head of an institute uh, studying you know, the mechanical functioning of physical bodies. Uh, I talked to him through an interpreter when I was in Moscow, and he reiterated what he said before, that uh, he had no interest in this subject. He just looked at the thing as a favor, and it changed his whole concept of walking, because this thing walks better than a human. Uh, Jeff Meldrum at the University of Idaho, the bipedalism specialist, has done what uh, we always had some misgivings about because some of these footprints don't have the short toes like the ones We're looking at here. They have long wide-spreading toes And and we you know we always were uneasy that some real expert was going to say well This is impossible uh, if one of these is genuine the, the other is not or, or so on instead of which uh, Jeff working with both types work out a foot design that's quite different from a human foot despite the generally similar shape requires you to walk in a different way uh, not pushing off with the toes but using the ball of the foot and not propelling yourself forward pushing from the foot that's now behind you but pulling yourself forward with the foot that's ahead of you. She said, "How could someone be able to hoax that?" Well, and then after he's difference. worked this out from the cast uh-huh. and he's has traveled all over photographing and studying casts, studied more than anyone else ever has. Uh, and then he describes this way of walking, and you know, I I probably uh, simplified it to the point where not totally accurate, but. Uh, <laughs> He describes this way of walking. You look at the movie, and there the thing is doing it. Um, When a human walks, as your weight passes over the weight-bearing foot, Mm -hmm. your leg is locked straight. You take your weight on a, a locked knee. This thing does the exact opposite. The maximum bend of the knee takes place when the weight is directly over the foot. And for that reason it has to pick up the other foot very high to bring in past the bent knee supporting the weight uh, And so automatically you get a the bottom of the foot almost vertical as it's As its pacing is totally different from the way humans walk It's like the strongest evidence for uh Sasquatch are the footprints, and you've got two here. Can you tell me a little bit about each of them here? The the one on the right, Plain Brown, is a cast that uh, I was myself involved in making. That uh, is in Northern California up on a ridge where they were building a road, and this print was in very deep dust. And on that occasion there were the prints of two creatures at least, time I got there, you could only be sure there were two uh, road construction foreman who'd found them, a the contractor actually, uh, said there were three sizes, but we only saw two, but we saw more than 600 footprints, and they'd all been made in a single evening after dark, and during the time when this very dry dust, was very hot weather, had been sp- sprinkled and moistened on the surface with a little bit of rain and uh, all of those that were in the Ratsworth traffic moved had been destroyed by the time we saw them, so there were certainly more than a thousand of them originally uh, the other one uh, is a copy actually, the uh, original cast is just a flat grey mm-hmm. and that's a, a copy that's been painted to make it stand out more and that was in a, uh, a muddy spot on the slough of the Skeena River, quite near Terrace. Uh, footprints were found by some children. And a friend of mine who's now dead, uh, who was, was more involved and more successful in this research than anybody else, and was living in Hazleton at the time and was contacted by someone who knew of went there and made casts of a left foot and a right foot uh, they were only uh, were only the two good prints in this one there are they that was in the, in the 1970s I think 1976 is it difficult to I mean well, I imagine in some cases there are uh, hoaxes of footprints people go out to do but how difficult is it to hoax uh, a Sasquatch print oh it, it certainly can be done it can be done oh yeah uh, but I heard of one in, in, in various specific instances, it's very hard to see how it could have been done. Uh, for instance, the what I just mentioned, where you have to make a thousand prints in a, in, a, in, a, in a matter that literally is in minutes, and yet they're so big that you'd have to you'd have to sculpt them. There's no way you can just walk along and make them. Uh, another case, there were prints an inch deep in a hard, damp sand on a sandbar where uh, I personally jumped off a log about two feet high. And to get an imprint that deep, I had to land on the point of one heel. So either you've got tremendous weight or, again, you've had to, to dig it out. But there's, you know, there's, there are pressure cracks in the material around, and so on. There's no sign of, of anything being dug. In that instance, you couldn't get a machine in there. There, there were brush-covered steep uh, banks down to this creek, and downstream there was a big log jam, and and upstream there, there was a, a canyon with vertical walls and deep waters. So, you know, whatever. You well, know, you could have come in by helicopter, but even that wasn't uh, very practical because there were people living in a construction camp just a few hundred yards away. You know, and you know, so you, when you start trying to explain all of this as a human manufacturer, it gets so totally convoluted that you come back to Occam's razor. You're you're building castles in the air when there is a simple explanation. It's not. It's not an easy explanation to accept. In a way, you're dealing with two impossibilities. You start thinking that there is such an animal and it's never been found dead. We don't even have a bone. Well, that's you reject you that automatically. Well, we have found, uh, there has been some uh, hair samples reportedly pur- found. Um, yes. Even a,
5: ha- you know, a handprint and some feces, which have not been a- they've been
2: analyzed, but nobody's been able to s- determine what they are. They're not a black bear or something we know. I'm not confident about feces analysis. Okay. Um, Hair, apparently they've uh, been unable to get enough uh, DNA to work with out of hair. It's up to now. I mean, for years we've been expecting something definitive, even if it's just to say no, throw it all out. And we don't get any answer. Um, there there was just one instance with hair, and this wasn't DNA. It was uh, immune reactions that did seem convincing. But the person who did it said, well, this has got to be the human, chimpanzee, or gorilla. Well, you you could have eliminated all three or confirmed or eliminated any of the three within minutes with a comparison microscope. But he had ground up all the sample. He was an uh, immune reaction expert, not a hair expert, and it didn't occur to him that he needed to keep any. So, uh, now these are brown hairs to begin with, and gorillas and chimpanzees are uniformly black. Uh, It included guard hairs, and human guard hairs grow endlessly, and they're therefore always cut off. They don't have points. All these guard hairs were pointed. And they were, the hair had been collected one hair at a time. I same who made that cast. Going through the brush in a place where it, footprint evidence indicated one of these things had gone. See. And this is in Northern California. Well, uh, uh, you know, the, the number of... of Brown chimpanzees and gorillas that go through the brush in Northern California is quite minimal. <laughs> well, what do you? I mean, if the Sasquatch does exist, do you think it is a separate creature unto itself, or is it perhaps a missing link to our well, ancestry? No, it's a totally separate creature. I mean, it, it, if the, it either exists or it doesn't, right? You have people speculating that. of the stories are hoax or mistakes or mass hypnosis or, you know, hysteria. It doesn't work that way. Either there is an animal or there isn't. If there isn't an animal, then 100% of the stories are wrong. If there is an animal, then there's no reason to question that the vast majority of them are just the same category is people who say they saw a bear. They did see one. So you've got a great deal of information, even though there's very little information in most sightings. They just saw something run across the road is the common one. But but nevertheless, out of these thousands of reports, a great deal of information about what these things do. And, of course, about their, their physical characteristics. What's their typical connection with people then? Hmm? Um, Well, let me finish what we're dealing with. All of this indicates a creature whose adaptions are totally physical. It's solitary. It's enormous. It's tremendously strong. It has a full coat of hair. It swims very well even under water can run faster than almost any other animal, can run down deer. It has never had any pressure to survive on its mental abilities. It lives very much the life of a bear. And this is the exact opposite of the story of the evolution of humans. The fact that both species have ended up walking upright is the only reason why we relate them to humans more than we do other creatures.
4: Well, there's nothing you can argue against what John had to say. I mean, uh, he was right on the money.
0: Yeah, and I like the, I like how he's just—he uh, puts it in simple man's terms. You know, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, he's very factual. Either it is or it isn't. And uh, yeah, I really I mean, I thought, I thought And you know, like
4: what he said, he said you know about the you know the percentages, you know, of how many stories were real and fake. You know, even if one story were real, well then the whole thing is real. It's. And I mean, there are certainly some that are you know made up stories, but not a lot. Uh, the percentage isn't big. But yeah, he he was, and that's why I mentioned earlier about Green being sort of the when when they first began all at him and DeHindon. Uh, being the face of the issue. he He's the one that brought it out as a journalist. He's the one that introduced it to the public, where Renee was the heart and soul. He was the driving force to get people to seriously look at this stuff.
5: What did you think about when he was talking about
0: uh, shooting? He said, if you, you knew. get in your scope. I, <laughs> you I, you, would, I, knew, I knew you were going to ask that. I was going to ask that, but I didn't know if I should. <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. I think it's it's a question that a lot of people have, you know, and and a lot of people have different ideas about it. Uh, I I personally think it's going to be – I'm for it. You know, I I think it's going to be one of the only ways that uh, we're going to have definitive proof, kind of like what John said.
4: Yeah, and, you know, those guys had thought this question out over and over and over 40, 50 years ago.
5: No, I would say we've almost gone backwards a little bit. But as far as the tranquilizing, Woody and I have talked about that in the past. And tranquilizing, a lot of people don't understand. They think you just put our gun, you shoot it, and the animal goes down. But, you know, like you said, well, if you get the weight wrong, either you're going to kill it or you're going to piss it off.
4: And yeah, and it's if you a very it off, fine range.
5: To, yeah, if you, if you piss it
4: off, you're going to have to shoot it anyway. <laughs> you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? So what's the point? Right. And you could right. end up being killed in the process or somebody with you.
5: Yeah, I thought he was pretty straightforward and, and um, to the point, like what he says, he's very direct and he's very, kind of dumbs it down to the, yeah, the conversation right. was to the lowest common denominator, you know what I mean? And I like that about him.
4: Yeah, no, John, John did an, has always done an excellent job on, on communicating the issue to everybody.
5: And you know, the people that get upset about killing one, I'm going to go off on my tangent. I promise you guys I wouldn't, but I'm going to go off on a tangent. <laughs> Right Already hit. Yeah, Woody, you you might want to filter me out a little bit on this, but <laughs> the people, <laughs> the people who get upset, I've noticed. You know, obviously, Woody and I are kind of new to the community. I mean, we've only been in this for just over a year or so. The people who get upset about shooting one are the same people who will post on Facebook, "Don't kill them," you know, no kill policy, and then the next day they have the audacity to put a picture up of an empty plate and tell you a Sasquatch ate the cookies the night before. And if you're so upset about someone actually wanting to prove the existence, people, when you, when you say killing one, we're not talking about slaughtering all of them. It's kind of like one and done, you know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And so the the people who get upset about it are the people who talk about telepathy, talk about, you know... They go out to their spot every week, you know, like this lady I talked about in the beginning. She, like what he says, you know, on vacation, she goes and sees her Squatch Man every, you know, once a year. But they don't, if you're so against shooting one, get a video camera and start shooting some footage of these things and put it out there for people to see. And I think you'll start to see people back off from the attitude, hey, we got we to gotta shoot one and bring it in. If people start putting out all this footage... For people to see, I think you'd see a lot of the, the the talk of shooting one. People would back off of it. The same people who are so upset about shooting one, they don't they don't provide anything. It's like the guy out Sas what is it, uh, Sasquatch Canada or God, what's it called?
0: Yeah, know. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I can't think of it even. The guy
5: that the guy that got him talking. on audio like burping and like burping the alphabet and um, oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> you know it's saying. Flower and Mike, and you know what? If you get them burping the alphabet, and you get them out there saying your name, and you, you're teaching them language, hey, how about shooting a video of them?
4: You, you know what I yeah, mean? It's, it's too convenient to say you, you, they, they have that relationship, but but they they're protecting them so they don't have footage or they don't let anybody go there. So they end up, you know, sort of maintaining their position without having to prove anything. And and I'm a, I'm the kind of person that's like put up or shut up. You know, if you if you're not going right. to put Put your proof where your mouth is. Don't talk to me. That's baloney. You know, it, it, like John says, and I, I'm from the school of Green and Hind and they were the guys who trained me and brought me into this. Uh, it's either it either is or it isn't. It, it's black and white. You know, there's I don't I don't buy the you know the gray areas. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, I'm not going to say that I, I'm going to you know dump on anybody who does. You know, there everybody's you know perfectly free to have their own views, but that's my view. And, uh, yeah, you know, you shouldn't be able to get away with just running around saying any old thing and preventing the issue from moving forward. And, and you know, I, I can't disagree with what John said about taking a specimen uh, because, really, that is the only way that it's going to be proven.
0: And I think I think maybe, too, some of the people out there that uh, are so against the, the the shooting part of it or taking one down and shooting or killing one, I think a lot of them maybe think that, Bigfoot is has more more human characteristics than it does ape. And you and you hear John even saying in that interview, he's like, no, it's uh it's its own thing, it's it's its own animal. And right, um, I agree with that. You know, and maybe that maybe that's why some people are so against it, because they think that there was there's more human characteristics to it than uh ape-like or animal-like. And according to John, you know, he was talking about the way it walks and stuff like that. And the only the only thing that humans have, according to him, that is that. Am uh, I trying to say it, that is within the same characteristics? Is we're bipedal animals or bipedal?
4: Well, you know, yeah, other, than that, other than that, the is, is more nothing. about us than about shooting a sasquatch. It's right. like I've mentioned on, on previous shows about you know the term that anthropologists used called anthropomorphism, which means we apply human characteristics onto non-human species, and I, I yeah, which is exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, think, I can, I can, I can kind of understand where people are coming from based on whatever they believe. But uh, you know, my belief is, let's get one and get the same result.
4: No, I totally agree. I, I can see where people are coming from too, and and just you know different views on you know harming any sort of wildlife and things. I, you know, I understand that. I mean, I I quit hunting a number of years ago just because I I didn't like killing animals anymore. But um, Taking a specimen of a Sasquatch to, to get it done, to get it past, you know, the the amateur's hands and into science where it belongs and can be dealt with properly, really is where this should go.
5: I'll tell you why people are upset, and this is tangent number two. So, Woody, get your uh, get your filter <laughs> button ready. I'll tell you why people get upset. If one were shot tomorrow, it'd be a little hard to explain all the leprechaun powers that people say that they have. <laughs> And I think a lot of the attention that people are getting from all these stories about telepathy and Bigfoot rape me mentally and um, I go and hang out with Bigfoot once a year and, you know, out of the uh, uh, vacation home and, you know, vacation cave. All those stories would go away and all the attention would go away. I, I, yeah, I think I that's why people more. don't don't want one brought in. I, I think that's the hidden agenda. That, you know, people yeah. will come out and say, well, you know, we don't want one shot because their people and blah, 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 but I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of people realize, hey, if we brought one in, it'd be a little hard to explain all these leprechaun powers I said they had, and I've been telling people for years, and now I'm going to look like an idiot.
4: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, I I couldn't agree more with that, and because it would go into science, and there would be, uh, you know, all the people that jump on the bandwagon would all of a sudden be out of business.
5: And you can send me your hate mail at williamjevning at yahoo.com.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's all right. They, they can send whatever they want to me. I know what I know. And...
3: Uh, <laughs> <yeah>.
4: Oh, <laughs> man. Throw me under the bus there.
5: You can send all your disgruntled email there. Uh, we'll read it and uh, address it. That's with right. I was,
4: I was trained by Renee DeHinden so I, I can I can respond like he used to. <laughs> and anybody who knew him knows what i'm talking about
0: you know one one thing i did get out of his interview Wes, and, and it kind of went back to our encounter you know when we when we saw the ones that we saw and the whole knee thing you know him explaining the w the different how they use you know the front foot to pull themselves and how the, the weight uh, is distributed. And uh, I thought that was really interesting because uh, that's one of the things that I noticed other than the size of the Bigfoot that we saw, the Bigfoots that we saw, or Sasquatches. That's the first time I've heard someone actually put it in such a simple term to where I could really understand on why I was seeing, when it, when I looked at the knees on it, and why it was looking the way that it did. So I like that part of it, too. I like the whole interview, to be honest with you. It was really great.
5: I picked up on that too when he's talking about how when it walks forward, it actually pulls itself instead of like how we do. You know, we kind of get the momentum going forward.
4: Yeah, with us right. it's like walking on stilts. We sort of, you know, pull vault to the next position where the Sasquatch doesn't. They, that's a completely different uh, mode of locomotion.
5: And that probably explains, you know, I'm, I'm sure among many other things, but explains how they move so smoothly, how they move so, you know, it's so quick and so smooth and.
4: Yeah, they're better designed than we are at walking bipedally.
5: Yeah. No, I enjoyed that. The other thing I picked up on, and and I know we've been doing it in the show. A lot of people don't realize it. But with encounters, we talk about behavior. And John Green talked about you can actually get a lot of information from a really good encounter. And that's another thing I really appreciated.
4: Absolutely. And that's what I said before about where people, you know, these people who claim they're, you know, Sasquatch hunters or researchers or whatever title they put on themselves, is you have to kind of question what the motivation is behind what they're doing. Most people go out and collect these stories up, and then they either post them on the Internet or whatever, and it's more of a trophy. They're not using that information, you know, to learn from and and to um, further the quest, you know, to prove the Sasquatch is real. They don't pay any attention to the particulars. You know, it's interesting we no, I mean, talked about vocalizations there, and uh, I actually took him myself closer to a Sasquatch than he ever got to be to one. Uh, you know, when, when we had our encounter out by Fort Lewis in 1976 with the screaming and all that, we took him out there, and, and no sooner than we had gotten out of his VW van, the group of us, uh, right at dusk, they started screaming, and... But when we left, I, I visited him sometime after that at his home in Harrison Hot Springs. And, and from that time forward, whenever I'd talk to him, he'd say, you know, I'm still kicking myself for not taking a recorder that night. <laughs> he says we had Sasquatches out there screaming, and I could have had it.
5: Yeah, I liked how you said in there, you know, we don't really know the sounds that they make because no one's actually recorded one making a sound. But they are probably making these sounds. And I think that's the best way to describe I know we did the Sasquatch... Sound last week and I think that's a really good way to describe it
4: and you know it's even even with things like footprints and I, I use the example when I talk to people too uh, you know is we can't one hundred percent say that those are made by a sasquatch unless we had one being filmed walking through an area that had no prints and we saw the creature leaving.
5: I think a lot of people would back off of the shooting
2: if I people so, start yeah.
5: producing. If your buddies with them and you're out there burp- burping the alphabet, you know, or you got a vacation <laughs> cave. Snap yeah. a few picks. That's right.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Email to your buddies, you know. Yeah. Summer with squatch.
5: I'll tell you man. what guys, I know we're getting getting down on time, but I wanted to I had two encounters for you guys to listen to and they're pretty short. The first encounter is a 72-year-old lady describing an encounter that she had back when she was, I I believe, when she was 12. If you get a chance, listen to the behavior of her parents as she's describing this encounter. I kind of get the impression her parents know a little bit more than what they were leading on to. But take a listen to this encounter. Tell me what you guys think of this.
6: Well, this happened many years ago when I was a little girl in Southern Illinois. How old are you? I was approximately 12 years old, and it would have been 60 years ago. It was the end of the summer months when the berries got ripe and there was always blackberries and that kind of stuff that grew wild in southern Illinois. And my mom always canned and made pies. So she asked us to go berry picking with her, and I was the only one that said I would go with her. So we got our buckets. And we went out, started outside not too far from the house, which was, all well, to start with, the place was probably good two and a half or three miles off the main highway, back into the woods and towards the timber, down a gravel road and down a gravel lane. There was only our house and one other house that set up probably a half a mile in front of us, away from all the trees, but we sat next to the trees. At one time, been loggers back there and they had left old equipment and stuff sitting up and down the little dirt lane. Anyways, we went berry picking and we started up fairly close to the house and we started picking berries. Well the more further we went, the further we got up towards this bluff where all the trees and everything was at. And not even thinking, we just kept picking berries and having fun that somewhere with my mom. So we kept picking berries on up the hill, we went slowly up the hill, getting berries, berries. And I said, Then I said, Mommy, you think we got enough berries? And no. she said, Let's get a few more. So we got a few more berries, and by then we were like up this bluff at the top of the hill where the trees and stuff started and all that, really deep into the woods. So we put picking berries. We got up there because i said mom and I said, we started to turn around and go back because she said it was we had enough berries so i didn't know it but mom had already saw it before i saw it and we started walking and every time we'd take a step i'd hear this crunch in the leaf and when i stopped it would stop and i said mom do you hear that she said it's just the rabbits and squirrels and stuff she said up here that's making the noise and the leaves, don't be worried about it, just turn around, keep going, don't look back, let's get home. So, I started, took a few steps, I could hear this crunch, crunch, I'd stop, it stopped. Mom said, don't look back, just keep going. So, I didn't listen to my mother, I turned and I looked back and I could see down at the bottom of this, Up well, from the opposite, wayward, up to the top of the hill. And I could see this thing walking along there and it was huge and it was furry and it, it had to have been six foot tall, or at least seven foot tall because we were standing up and it still looked huge. So anyways, I said, mama, I said, do you see that? She said, don't worry about it. She said, keep going. She said, don't look back. I said, mama, let's run. She says, no, don't run," she said. "Just keep walking slowly. Keep going back towards the house." And so I did until we got to the very bottom of that hill. And we got to the very bottom of that hill. I said, "Can we run now, Mom?" She said, "Yes, you can run if you want to." Now. So we ran home. We went home and told my dad and my siblings what we'd saw on our berry picking route. And Dad said, "Well, if that's what you actually saw," she said. He said, there's no bears that are that huge down here. He so we, said, we don't have anything like that. And he said, what you saw was Bigfoot. And so he we went on and forgot about Bigfoot after that because he wasn't in our house. anything. didn't scare us anymore. Anyways, it got colder, and it was like we had one big empty room that we didn't use, and we had it closed off, but my mom had taken a clothesline and tied from corner to corner in the room so she could hang her clothes in there in the winter because she scrubbed on the board. We lived in Southern Illinois. We didn't have a washing machine. We had a scrub board. And you have to remember that was like 60 years ago. A lot of people down in the Southern Hills didn't have washers. A few had old ringer washers, but my mom had a tub. So anyway, she had went in there. She had hung her clothes up. She went in to get a dress out that she planned on ironing for the next day. And all of a sudden we heard my mom scream, she just as loud as she could scream. And we heard her feet hitting the floor as they come bouncing through the door into the other room. And we wanted to know what was going on. Dad said, Jane, what in the world's going on? I said, Why are you screaming like that? And she said, Well, wait, she said, I, so I reached to get my dress off the line, she said, I saw this great big huge thing standing there, tall as the window sill, stooped over bent with his hands up to the window looking at me. It was big and hairy. And so dad, of course, went out, but there was nothing there. She didn't. He did not find it, of course. But after that, we was very leery. We didn't go out at night and play in the yards like we had before. Interesting story.
0: Yeah, you know, the one thing I will say the story has gone for it is it was simple. It was a simple story. It wasn't... uh There was no leprechaun magic going on. There was no... uh, It was very simple, you know. They saw what they saw, and that's what she had to say. I don't know, you know. It was a good... It sounds like a decent encounter to me.
5: Do you guys get the impression her parents knew more than what they were leading on? Like her mother saying, don't look back. that
4: impression, didn't it? You know, like they had seen it before. Yeah. Yeah, it made me think that her parents...
0: Go ahead, That's kind of what I thought too when they were up when they were up there picking berries. You know, she's like, "Don't turn around, just keep walking, just keep walking." And It was almost like you know she's seen it before, but uh oh, you know, I have my kids out here with me, so let's just be cool. I like the story. I like I like simple stories. I don't like a whole bunch of stuff that sounds like you know it didn't sound like she was making stuff stuff up as she went along to make the story sound better. So right, you I know, agree. You know, I liked it.
5: Uh, The last encounter I got for you guys is a hunter recounting his... uh, He's sitting up in a deer stand, and he actually sees one of these creatures. The one thing about the story is this guy sounds like Woody after our encounter. And I thought Woody was just insane, but this guy... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, this guy's attitude on the whole thing. Take a listen to this. Tell me what you guys think of this.
1: My first thought was... There's an old, naked, hairy, gray, silverish-looking old man in these woods, but really hairy. And as I took a second look, I knew what I was looking at. About to my 2 o'clock position, maybe 40, 50 yards away, I heard a stick break or snap. I wasn't sure if something snapped a twig or stepped on it or whatever. I looked over, and there was nothing there. I looked back and I said, you know, let me reach back here and find my safety belt again and bring it around and snap it because that might be a deer coming up through that tree line there. So I'm trying to get my, my safety belt, and I couldn't get it right, you know, and all of a sudden I heard something else, and I look up again, and there that thing was standing there. That's when I knew whatever I was looking at was real because you can see the muscles flexion. You can see the skin underneath the hair. There's no way I could have been hoaxed or fake. I know what that thing was was real. And that thing, and when it disappeared, I was actually standing up, and my legs were vibrating and shaking because of adrenaline. I don't know. I was just, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to kid you or anything. I was scared to death. I was so scared that this thing was probably watching me at that point. I didn't know. But I actually walked out of them woods backwards I did not want whatever that thing was running up behind me or walking up behind me, you know. So once I made it to my vehicle, I threw the crossbow in the trunk. I jumped in the driver's seat. I locked the doors, and I just sat there. And at that point in my life, I wanted – I didn't have a cell phone then in 92, but I wanted – it hit me so hard. I wanted to call the president. I wanted to call my mom and dad and say, it's real. Oh, my God, it's real. I saw it, you know. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. What are you going to do? I want to learn more about them, you know. I, I would even love to go out in the woods. That's why when I go out during the daytime, I go out there with – I don't even go out there with a camera. Of course, i got my cell phone. You know, it's got a camera on or whatever. But I'll go out there. I'll have a bag of chips with me and stuff like that. Maybe one day I'll have an interaction. I don't know. That that I would love that, you know. But at nighttime, you know, I know these creatures are real, and at night, even during the day when you're in the woods, that's their home. They, they know you're there. Mm-hmm. So at nighttime, there's no way I'm going to be able to see one walk around the woods with a flashlight. So I'll drive, you know, I'll mount the cameras on the outside of my vehicle, the night vision cameras. And I'll drive real slow, and i got the monitor inside, and I'll pull over and park and sit there for hours at a time with my windows rolled up. Hoping that something walks in that field of view of my camera, so I can see it and so I can record it. If I get to see it again, I'm hoping to look at it differently, and I hope I'm not to be scared like I was the first time. You know, you can't you can't um, prepare for anything in life. You really can't prepare. At the 100% level for anything, because anything can go wrong. You can be 1% off in the good or in the bad. So if I do have another sighting, I don't know if I'm going to be that scared again. I don't think I will, but I want to look at it differently. I just, I want to, it'd be so great one day to have a really close encounter experience with one, hopefully in a nice way. They're pretty big creatures, I'll tell you that.
0: (laughs) Uh, did, it, did I really sound like that? <laughs> I did, did I? I know I did. Yeah, yeah he did. It, it's funny, Will, because right shortly after we had our encounter, I was ready to go right back out there. And Wes was like, are you freaking crazy? We're going <laughs> back out there. Uh, so that's that's where the whole insane thing came from. I, I got that. Yeah, I got that. I think everybody has their, their
4: own opinion, your own view uh this guy you know i mean he, he probably ought to have a be a little more cautious but uh, you know I, I guess you can't help but want to go it's like you know after i had my first encounter with those two you know that was our, our first thing you know was you know grab our hunting rifles we're going to go track them i don't know what we thought we were going to do if we found them but you know we figured we'd uh deal with that when we reached that point <laughs>
0: It's funny because I right after it happened, I couldn't really talk West into going. I, I think he's uh, going back out there again to try to you know to have another encounter, and uh, I think he's changed his mind since then. But man, I could have went out there with a tank, and he still West still wouldn't have gone if we were in a tank, you know. Uh, it's <laughs> well, I can
4: understand that.
0: Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. yeah, now he's talking about you know, going out in a Jeep Wrangler, so you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he's changed his mind a little bit now.
5: Yeah. Well, it's such a shell shock when you see one, or you know, like an orange encounter. I mean, there's nothing that prepares you for that. There's That's you right. can't there prepare. Isn't. You could sit and research all you want for 20 years, and know what you're dealing, or you know, have a you know, somewhat of an idea of what you're dealing with. But when you actually see one, I mean, there's no way to prepare for that.
4: Yeah, I wasn't I think prepared a lot of for- these researchers out there today. If they, you know, most of them have never seen one. If they actually were to run into one, I think they'd probably wet themselves. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't yeah, prepared I for the size, agree. the size it's of a them. Shock! It's definitely a shock on the system. Yeah, and Sorry it's really not too to... bad there'll never be another another Green or DeHinden.
5: Yeah, those guys. Those are some pretty big shoes to fill, though.
4: Very much so. Very much.
5: Especially Renee. I, like I said, I didn't realize he was such, you know, larger than life character. And that guy's hilarious. Yeah, we'll
4: have to talk about him on uh, one of the shows. He, uh, he covers a lot of ground.
5: I wish the audio was better when he was uh, tearing apart Grover Krantz.
4: I, I mean, I'll I to must look and see up what up else I can find with him. Yeah, I must have busted
5: up laughing like five or six times during the whole thing.
4: And Just you know, knowing that him personally, the... personally for so many years, he was like that. You couldn't help but said he would have us in tears all the time. And he told <laughs> some pretty hilarious stories, too. He came over to visit one time and there was a whole room of my friends sitting there, you know, that wanted to meet him. And he came in and, and you know, unless you knew Renee, you know, he he could change his looks on his face where, you know, he could conceal what he was thinking. And he was getting ready to tell. He started off telling the story and, and he gave me a look that I knew was just complete BS. I knew he was gonna pull the wool over all these people's eyes. So I just kinda covered my mouth and hung in the back of the room. And he sucked them all in to this joke, this story, you know, that sounded so legitimate. And he just kind of put his pipe in his mouth and grinned when he was done. And a couple of my <laughs> friends were like, "Well, and then what happened?" You know, at the end, of, and they were like, "No, it was a joke." <laughs> after after he was finished telling the story, but he was like that. I mean, he uh, he was a character.
5: Yeah, he was hilarious.
4: If you get uh, a chance, to we'll when do. I come up and see you guys sometime, I'll, I'll tell you that that particular story. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to do that in 2014, you know, and I know, uh, Will, I know Westville's the same way. We really appreciate uh, you sharing all your knowledge and your information with him and I, and, and, uh, oh, and I like said before, okay. you you taking us kind of under your wing. I mean, we talk on the air, off the air, but, you know, I wish we could talk more off the air, you know, just on a personal basis, but we're busy and we have, we have our lives. We'll, we'll but, get our uh, chance. You know, I'm really looking forward to you uh, either coming this way or us coming to see you and uh, going out, and spending a few days out in the woods, and yeah, uh, you know, boots on the ground, boots on the ground, and seeing what we can find. I I can't wait till that day. So I, I just wanted to tell you thank you, and and I know West feels the same way. So uh, we
4: appreciate. Well, I, it. I appreciate you two guys also. You know, you're you're two of the very few that I I would share a lot of my secrets with.
0: Yeah, and i yeah, have, we and I've, I've, I've learned, I've, I know Wes and I both, we've learned a lot from you, and every time I talk to you, I, I you know, it's, it. like I said, Wes said earlier, we're new to this, and, uh, you know, we've just recently became fully involved in it, and i learned something every time I talk to you, so, you know, thank you, I I appreciate that.
4: Oh, anytime, fellas, anytime.
5: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think our ratings would go through the roof if we, uh, <laughs> if we, uh, Had a lot of the stuff we said off the air. We actually said on the air.
3: (laughs) Probably so.
0: I think it it would too. Yeah. I think it would. If people only knew. That's what we do. Do a
4: show sometimes. You know the behind the scenes cuts.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Kind of like the bloopers. The bloopers of the Sasquatch Chronicles.
4: (laughs) That would be funny, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah. Just take bits and pieces of certain things that are said and play them. Oh my God! People would come and court.
4: You know, we should probably do something like that. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: maybe maybe we'll leave the part out where we'll call people douchebags. But you know, I don't know. Kinda, <laughs> well,
4: anyway, you know, some of them are douchebags, but I mean, they really ought to be called douchebags. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was a drill sergeant in the army, I got no greater pleasure than actually saying something to somebody's face that I was thinking. You know, and just looking at their reaction.
3: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I love
4: that shock effect. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who was good at that was Renee. I think that's where I picked that habit up. He was, you know, that guy, you know, he was always very conscious about his image. And I watched him many times with reporters and, you know, TV, radio, and, and, and newspapers. He said newspapers were the worst. And they are. They they never print exactly what you tell them. They always change shit. But he would tell them, he says, you know, they'd want to go places or go talk to them. They'd say, okay, you got to check your recorders at the door, put the cameras away. He says, "Then we can talk," but he wouldn't. You know, he was very careful around those people. But off the record, that guy was something else. He would send me letters, things like, "Oh God, I remember this." You know, I told you the thing about with uh, with PhDs. This is because of Krantz primarily, but other PhDs he had dealings with. He'd say, "I asked so and so. I met so and so, and he said he had a PhD." And he says, "I I asked him what the prognosis was (laughs) (laughs) because he he considered it an incurable." Mental disease. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah, he
5: did. Oh, it's like funny. I was telling you before the show started. I mean, he just railed into Krantz. He spent like an hour and a half just railing into him. I mean, he was he was harsh, but he was fair. Like I yeah. said, someone in the audience said, oh, well, Grover Krantz is a hoaxer. And to him I mean, he just spent the last hour and a half verbally raping this guy. And he stopped and said, you know what? He's not a hoaxer.
4: Um, he didn't believe it. You ever see a picture of Krantz? He had this big mole between his eyes.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Renee
4: and I were sitting talking one time, and like I said, Renee used to, I practically wet myself sitting and listening to him, you know, in our conversations. He'd say, he looked very serious, and he'd say, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Grover's a very nice guy. He says, when he opened his mouth to speak, someone should run up, and he says, that's his start-stop button. They should run up and hit that. And he wouldn't <laughs> stop talking, everybody would like <laughs> the guy.
5: <laughs> it's the easy
0: button. <laughs>
4: yeah.
5: Oh man! Well, I'm gonna go take some Nyquil, boys. I'm uh, I'm dying here.
4: Get some rest and drink drink lots of fluids.
0: Yeah, I will. I will well, well, friend, that doesn't mean beer. Yeah. Okay. Well, they are <laughs> fluids, you know, and that is considered a food. <laughs> exactly. It's protein. Protein. That's right, protein. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you guys have a good Christmas. If I don't talk, well, less, I know I'll talk to you. Will I probably will talk to you too? But if I don't, so, uh, you guys have a good Christmas. It's nice talking to you guys, man.
4: All right, fellas, you too.
5: All right, have a good night, guys.